Thank you, gentlemen. Let's stand open our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to deviate a few services before the revival. Speaking on the subject of revival, I think we might just park here and look at the national revival that's taking place in Israel after the building of the walls. Look what it says, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. I don't know why, but if you're old enough to hear the word Watergate, your mind naturally goes back to a great cover-up. This was anything but a great cover-up. This was a great uncovering of sin and a dealing with national sin and personal sin and family sin. So when we say Watergate, for those of you that are over 50, that's a different Watergate, amen? They spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both men and women, and all that could hear it with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made uh, for the purpose. We talk about special scenes and special moments in the scripture. This, for me, is one of those. I would like to have been there. I don't know how uh, those uh, right commentaries come up with the numbers, but supposedly there's probably between thirty to 50,000 people gathered at this point. And uh, verse 1 says, All the people gather themselves. Now, everyone that God wanted there was there, amen, a large crowd, and uh, women and men and anyone of the age that could actually understand the Word of God. And here they stand, 6 to 12, to hear from God His Word as those scrolls are opened up and read. And I want you to notice a couple of things concerning revival tonight. Simple thoughts found in this passage. What was it? What did God use? It's always based on His Word and our attitude toward His Word. We try to overcome, overly complicate revival, make it mystical, dependent upon a preacher, upon special services. This is, listen, revival can take place on Monday, six months after, six months previous to a scheduled revival. How many understand that? This is about you and your relationship with God and his word, and I like what the verse says in verse 1, that people gathered themselves together as one man into the street, those before the water gate, and what's it say? They spake and as or the scribe to bring the book. It was the people that were crying out, come preach to us, come read to us, come give us that book. We see a hunger for the word of God. Church, here's how you know if you're experiencing personal revival Your hunger for the Word of God is greater than anything else in your life. Books can wait. Music can wait. Dinner appointments can wait. Movies can wait. Whatever it is that shouldn't be on the docket is pushed aside. And you say God's Word has priority. And if you're going through your day and God's Word has no priority, you need a revival. What, what had happened here, we understand. They did not have pocket Bibles. They didn't have New Testaments. They didn't have the printed Word of God. They didn't have Genesis to Revelation like we have. 
They didn't have 10 copies sitting around their house. They didn't have a Bible on their iPhone. But there was a hunger. Now, we understand what the nation of Israel had gone through in captivity. Now they're back, but here's what they're doing. As one man in the street gathered together, said, Ezra, come read us the book. Now, they're hungry enough, they actually tune, look what it says in the last phrase of verse 3. The ears of all the people were what? Attentive. Now, I don't know how often I could actually sit in a service and say, the ears of everyone. We've never had a crowd of 40,000 people. On average Sunday, between English church and Spanish church, we'll have 550, 600 people. Last couple weeks, we had up to 700 people. And if we went class by class, we divided class. I'll tell you what, I don't know if we could say half, half of our attendees were actually attentive. At least not all the way through the service. You, you may start out that way. You, you may get their attention, but here he is reading the book from 6 till 12. They're standing, uh, listening, eagerly listening. We're going to see their response, hungry for the word of God. Uh, how hungry are you right now? I'm not talking about at, at a past point in your life. I'm not talking about a youth conference or a special camp or revival that you experienced. I'm talking about right now in your spiritual walk. How hungry are you for the Word of God? Are you waking up with the desire to get in the book? Are you coming to church saying, I want to hear from God. I want to make sure my family is hearing from God. I want to make sure that I'm not coming messed up and mashed up and mixed up and distracted from the Word of God. Now, I know, I know this generation says, hey, Pastor, say well, we're preaching short or shorter because people have a shorter attention span. A football game still lasts three hours. Attention span, if you've been to a baseball game, people sit there for hours. The most, most boring two hours of your ever-loving life. And they're not going to leave the stadium. They've, they've got their undivided attention on undivided nonsense. When, when was the last time you, you thought when, when the preaching went beyond an hour? It's rare in this day and age for a sermon to actually go beyond an hour. And most are disturbed. I don't believe there's anyone looking at their watches. Preacher, that is a different dispensation. No one had a watch. I'm glad you're so historically correct. They weren't looking at the sun or the sundials. They weren't focused on what time of day it was. They were standing. You know what happens? The average preacher stands up here and reads the Word of God, and then he begins to expound before he prays. After about five minutes, people are tapping out. They're checking out. They're looking over at me like, Pastor, give them the cue for us to sit down. I can't take it. My legs have been in this position for nine and nine and a half minutes. I'll get a Charlie horse if he holds me up any longer. Six hours of the Word of God. Uh, but people were hungry. When was the last time you walked into church hungry? When's the, when's the last time you made it through a service and you weren't thinking about the end? You weren't thinking about the thing you were going to do next? I mean, you were truly, wholeheartedly focused on the Word of God. No praise team, no choir, no entertainment, nothing additional. You know what a pastor has to do between illustrations and voice inflection? 20, almost 20 years ago. Uh, God 
allowing something to happen to my voice, and I've dealt with spasmodic dysphonia and a million other things since then. It might have been God's gift to me. You know, you know what happened when you can no longer use your voice or vocal inflection, that kind of thing. You no longer depend upon your voice for an entire service or 30 minutes at a time. He'd put you on your face before God and say, God, I already depended upon you, but I understand now more than ever, this is all you and totally you. You know what we've, we've got to do now? Uh, the stories are getting longer. The pastors can't. Stop talking about politics and world news. Introduction now lasts longer than the sermons. Preacher getting up, telling stories about their cats and their dogs and their frogs. and Just preach the word. It, it, I enjoy going to places that still preach the word. I mean, open up the Bible and just preach the word. Unfiltered, unconcerned about how people are going to respond. Amen. Not trying to be politically correct or correct according to the societal norms. Not fearful of people's faces. Just preaching the word. And you know why preachers aren't doing it? Because there's no hunger for the word to help motivate. Now, they shouldn't need it. They should not need it. But it would sure help the pulpits across this nation if people walk in hungry for the word of God. Instead of sneaking in the last song and sneaking out during the invitation, if they would sneak in earlier saying, well, I want to sit as close as I possibly can, get as close as I possibly can. And you know, around this place, you've got to get here early to make that happen. But if you're hungry enough, this is not a church where we should have to talk about hunger for the word of God. I'm concerned when our third graders don't have a hunger for the Word of God. I'm concerned when our high schoolers don't have a hunger for the Word of God. I'm concerned when our seniors don't have a hunger. I'm talking about hungry to hear from God. And if you can sit in the servants, young people, and not hear the voice of God, I don't care who's preaching. If you can sit in the chapel service, if you can sit in the Bible class, if you open up your Bible every day and you get in God's Word and you're not hearing from God, you need to get hungry. Here's what they did. They cried out to Israel and said, read and you can tell sincere because there they stood probably from 6 in the morning till 12 noon. And then there was a rest long enough to give those people time to go repent and get on their face and cry out to God. And then they gathered back together to read some more. And here's what I like about this. This was the Feast of the Trumpets. Now, this was, a, this was like their New Year. Literally, you had weeks of uh, God-ordained feast. The Day of Atonement was 10 days away. These 10 days were supposed to about, be about repentance and revival and seeking God's face. But on this day, the ritual of playing those trumpets was put aside. And they said, 
This is us and God and hearing his voice. And young people, here's what happens too often. You're going through the ritual, just like your parents going through the ritual, of pulling in here at 10 o'clock and pulling in here at 6 o'clock and pulling in here once at night and pulling in because it's their ritualistic duty. And you have fulfilled exactly what you've been commanded to do. But actually, a hunger to hear from God, if you don't have a hunger to hear from God, you're not going to hear from God. And here they came, young and old. I believe there were kids as young as third, fourth, fifth grade, eight-year-olds. Ten, it says, if they could hear and understand, they were present. There might have been some six and seven-year-olds in this group standing there for six hours hearing from God. Bring the book. Number two, let's see the handling of the Word of God. Look what it says in verse 8. So they read in the book... In the law of God, what's it say? Distinctly. And gave the sense. Oh, God, give us some preachers. Just read it distinctly and give some sense. Got a bunch of nonsense. Amen. We need something that makes sense. They caused them to understand the reading. God, give us preacher. I'll tell you what. We have, I thank God for expository preaching. But we, we have people, literally, you think you're listening to a Bible encyclopedia. Maybe this group of uh, Baptists have eaten themselves. Teachers have an itch in the ears. Uh, and pastors have catered to their congregations and refused to make an application. Because you know what preaching is? It makes an application. I, I know, I've, I'm young enough, I've, I've touched two generations and the previous generation I loved and admired. And I thank God they'd preach the devil out of a chicken. A church, a church pew, it doesn't matter. Uh, they just wanted to preach. They could take any verse out of context and preach the devil out of people. But they preached and God moved. Souls got saved. And now the pendulum has swung the other way. Now it's all expository. Amen. And fear of making any practical application, raising the voice yes, and saying, Thus saith the Lord. Well, God help us to handle properly. It doesn't matter if you're a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter if you're working on a bus route or teaching junior church. It doesn't matter what age you are, what stage of life you're in. If you're handling the word of God, you handle it appropriately and discreetly and properly and practically and spirit-filled and say, God, help me to deliver the goods as he would desire me to. Help me not to mishandle the word of God. Here's what you saw, proper reading and a proper handling. And fathers, you ought to do this in your home. Read the word. Kids ought to see you read it. They ought to hear you reading it to them. Don't care where you're at, read the word. I don't know how many junior churches and Sunday school classes across this nation are doing everything except handling proper, properly the word of God. Kids coming in, growing up in Sunday school, don't even know a Bible verse. Never been taught a Bible story outside of Noah, Jonah, and that's it. God help us. Here's a man that was standing up, properly handling, properly preaching the word. He read therein before the street that was before the water gate. For the morning... 
until the midday. Before the men and the women, those that could understand the ears of all the people were attentive. Let's talk about the hearing of the word. Now, here's what happens. When you properly handle the word of God, you properly preach the word of God, there is going to be some confrontation that takes place. And we have the the greatest group of non-confrontational preachers I have ever seen in my lifetime. I don't believe in this generation that anybody's non-confrontational personality ought to be ordained for the ministry. You're going to have to, you're going to have to confront sin. You're supposed to keep the church clean. In your own home, you're going to have to biblically, correctly, spiritually confront the evil or the sins or the misbehavior, the misconduct in your own home and do it in a godly and proper manner. And here's what the handling of the Word of God was. When they set up that platform, they set up that pulpit, and he climbed on top, and he began to preach. Here's what it was. Those people not heard the Word of God, and this is the book of the law, and he's actually talking to them at this moment about the feast and the rules concerning the feast. And he's talking about booths that were supposed to be set up. And they said, we haven't obeyed God for who knows how long. Let me ask you this. How many times have you sat in church? Now, the Word of God, when preached in its entirety, is confrontational. But pastors have stopped being confrontational, or they've stopped, they've avoided texts that are confrontational, or number two, church members have learned to box out anything that confronts their personal sin. Now, if it confronts someone else's sin, I heard that. Amen. They are willing to put an elbow on their neighbor's side, look over, make eye contact, nod their head and say, that was for you, sis. I hope you got that. I'd love to see you at the altar. But when it's a sin in their life that God wants to confront them about, ah, pastor and his hobby horses. That verse not a hobby horse. That's a Bible principle. And here's what the Word of God will do. It will, if you got your ears open, you're attended with the Word of God, it will confront you. And if you can sit in service after service after service and not be confronted by the Holy Spirit of God, you have no spiritual hunger or appetite to eat what God has put on your plate. There was a hearing. They actually listened to the Word of God. Keep your finger here and turn Hebrews 4.12, a verse everyone can quote, but I don't think we should quote it tonight. I think we need to take one more look and read. Ezra's standing up. The people are standing. He's reading the word. God is confronting his people with their neglect of the word of God. Here's what the Bible says about this book. The word of God, verse 12, is what? Quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. When he says two-edged, did you know this book has no blunt side to it? There's no blunt verse. There's no blunt chapter. There's no blunt book. It's all sharp. Razor sharp. It'll slice you to the soul in a heartbeat. Yeah, you're, you're frustrated at that person reading that book or preaching that chapter No, he didn't slice you. This book 
will cut you deep because it's sharp, piercing. It, it doesn't deal with the superficial. Here's what we like. Here's what most people want in church. I came to church and you deal with the superficial. Oh, no, God's word goes deep. It penetrates the soul. It lifts the mass off hypocrisy. It lifts the lid off the heart of man so he can see what God sees in man. And when you can't see it, God says, I'm going to take the word of God and lift your heart's lid and let you take a look at what I see because I want you to deal with that. It is sharp. It's penetrating. Look what it says. To the piercing, to the dividing, asunder, soul, and spirit, the joints of the marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts. And intense. here's what we don't like, okay? You, you deal with anything, but don't talk about my thoughts and my motives. And God says that's what this book is all about. Amen. Dealing with your thoughts and dealing with, oh, you deal with the superficial. And here's what you, you, you know, that way you can tell people, well, you don't know how I really feel. Well, you don't know what I really desire. Well, you don't know how spiritual I really am on the inside. And God says, I really do. I, I certainly do. And when others can't see your motives, God says, I'm going to take the word of God and reveal your motives. When you, didn't, you can't take that from man, you better take it from this book. You better take it from God because here's what God was doing with a fillet knife dealing with the nation of Israel and saying, you have forsaken me. You've departed from me. And you've got, listen, the way back is not just through saying amen. The way back is by understanding your level of disobedience and making this right. Young people, if you can sit in a service and that word of God hasn't pierced you to your heart and soul and discerned your thoughts and motives, that wasn't, that's not a problem with the Holy Spirit of God. That's a problem with you. It's not a problem with that book. That's a problem. Well, Pastor, I don't have any reason to go to the altar. You certainly do. You got a problem to lay before God and say, God, how is it that I've become so hard that I didn't even hear from you? There was a hearing, and go back with me to Nehemiah. Sin is being uncovered, which means there's going to be conviction that takes place. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you sat under God's word and you felt convicted? Sometimes you can see it as a preacher. I remember years ago, we went to Michigan God, God allowed me a great privilege in life to preach with, with uh, Dr. Brown one night at a conference. What, what was that? Some resort or someplace way up there in Michigan somewhere. I can't, remember. I can't remember what it was. But I remember that night he preached, and there was a lady. You could see her. You could see her in the congregation under such deep conviction. And we held that invitation. I've never heard. Robert, you remember that lady weeping and welling? I mean, she was welling. A preacher went over there trying to help her deal. I don't know what in the world she was dealing with, but the Holy Spirit of God had grabbed her and put both hands on her heart and squeezed. Let me ask you this. Why is that so uncommon? Why is that so unheard of? Why is it that, uh, I don't care if it's a chapel service, I don't care the preacher you bring through. You, you could bring back great preachers from the past. 
And it's not going to bring conviction until you get things right with God, until you get a hunger for the Word of God, and you say, God, I want you to do a work in me. And then when God, listen, you can't determine when the wind blows. You can't determine when God moves and how the Holy Spirit of God works. But young people, when he's moving, when he's working, you better run to obey. You better be obedient, clean out your ears and say, oh God, I want to hear from you. When you speak to me, I'm going to respond immediately. And here's what they were doing. Listen, the word of God was confronting their sin. We see a deep conviction. And here's what, it's not just the way things were being handled, but you, you're, you're going to see they were determined to hear and look at the way they honored the word of God. Look what it says, verse 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people. When he opened it, all the people, what did they do? In honor, they stood Church, you know what's going to help us lead them to this revival? If you honor this, and I'm talking about it every way, why, why are you throwing this in the back of your trunk? Why are you leaving this in the back window of your car? Why is this being thrown around your house? Why are you stacking books and a coffee cup on top? I'm going to protect the coffee table by putting a coffee cup on the Word of God. You, you say, Pastor, that doesn't mean, oh, it means something. It, it means there's a carelessness for the Word of God. And when you begin to honor this book and say, this is God's word, and I live in a privileged generation because this one of the first generations has the entire word of God it translated in it, it, all 66 books, and we have dozens of copies. We're not being persecuted for reading it. Matter of fact, we're being persecuted in this church for not reading it. You ought to get up and get this in your heart and get this in your soul. It wouldn't be a bad idea, young man, you read this, you start your morning devotion, and you just stand up out of honor for the Word of God, and you read the first chapter standing. You say, Pastor, that sounds so crazy. No, we've got a Christianity that is so nominal, so barely meeting the requirement. So literally, we have trained a generation of young people to be disrespectful to the Word of God. We can't keep our lost Bible closet cleaned out. How is it that you can see a $60 Bible in the lost and found that someone even, not even goes and tries to find? Three weeks. Yeah. Sit back there three weeks. Have staff, what should we do with this Bible? Give it away to someone that will use it. It's $60. There might be a name in it. Forget the name. You're going to think bad about them for the rest of your life. Just go give it away to a bus kid. Yeah. Amen. Amen. God help us to get serious about the word of God. They stood up and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God and all the people. Hold on for a second. They just didn't stand for the reading. They said, Brother Brown, Brother Saddle, I'm an old man losing my hair and losing my mind. Maybe you guys ought to refresh my memory. Wasn't there a day when you sat in church, people said amen? amen. And it didn't startle anyone? I mean, they were actually willful participants. You know how to get more engaged in the service? Save your two full of the flesh to say amen. I don't want to disturb my wife. She's sleeping. Wake her up. Even if you have to squeak it out. Maybe you can't even get both syllables. Maybe you're just men. I mean, I've heard amens that wake up and shake up the whole crowd. Amen! And 13 people jump. You ought to be 
supportive, something more than just shaking your head. Half you shake your head, I think you're dozing off, falling asleep. Now, I'm not one of these. I've never called out anyone to sleep in the auditorium. If I put them to sleep, that's on me, not on them. But I think if you're awake, if you're awake, one of the best ways to stay tuned in is to occasionally help out the preacher and say, Amen. Our churches sound like mausoleums. I mean, you could bring back Billy Sunday, D.L. Moody, Jack Hiles. You could preach fresh oil in the hands of an angry God and not hear a holy grunt from the congregation. God help us to get hungry. Church, I can't believe we, we can have the men of God come through, that we've had come through, and listen to the preaching and hear the sermons and feel the movement of the Spirit of God. Just a little, a little bit of personal involvement. A little bit of a pleasant face. Say, Pastor, this is the face I was born with. <laughs> Ask God to help you change it. At least in his house. Look what it says. They answered, amen. Double amen. With, oh boy, oh boy, here we go. With the lifting up of their hands. Now this will, this will scare a Baptist congregation unless you're in the southeast. I mean, you basically got to be Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina. You do this in the northern states. You want to talk about shaking up the house of God and the people of God. Now you can tell Pentecostal from a Baptist. Pentecostal does this. Amen. You get, you get a half-hearted Baptist, lift up one hand. It does say plural, lifting up what? There, stop worrying about your neighbor. You ought to be worried about the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the movement in your life, in your family's life. You ought to be close enough to your kids to be paying attention if God is doing something in their lives. I've been in services, a lot of services, where it, it would have been painful to try, to try to raise a holy hand during those song services. I mean, it's, it, it barely sounded like a funeral. You got 16 people singing and none of them have a voice that should be heard in public. <laughs> but you have a church, Miss Rhonda, invested her life in teaching this church how to sing. And I get the benefit of knowing you can sing. Here's the benefit of Capital City. You can sing as loud as you want. No one even knows you're singing. They can't hear. They're not going to complain because they can't hear. When you're singing out and you're hearing, we're singing songs with uplifting words. Lifting up the name of Christ, all the hymns. If not one of those, I mean to tell you, the selection is so incredible. Not one of those? I mean, Pastor, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those emotional people. Go, Cowboys! I, I know you're not emotional. Unless it's the Cowboys in the playoffs. And then you do the sidekick in the right swing. And 168 decibels. Man, I'm, I'm talking to people going to $250 UT basketball game, spending who knows how much, go to the racetrack. Whatever. I mean, we can watch cars do this. That was incredible. What was incredible? 
It drove in a circle for three hours. Lord have mercy. When they develop brain transplants, you need to put your name first on the list. Pastor, are you making fun of people? Yes, I am. I certainly am. When we get to God's house and we can't lift our voices, raise a hand, become a participant, there's a hard problem. You want to say, I want to know if I'm revived. It, it shows. It shows on Sunday. There's no way you're going to convince me you're revived on Monday if you come to this environment on a Sunday and can't find yourself just a teeny tiny bit of excited spiritually about what God's doing. They lift up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to... Now, this is revival. It's all right here. This is the word of God. This, it's, it, I like one guy's head, kind of like the teeter-totter effect. The higher you lift him up, the lower you go. Both can be high at the same time. And the greater your flesh and the higher you're lifted up, it's almost as if for taking God off his throne, we are lowering him from his rightful spot in position. Here's what happened. When God and his word were magnified and these people were listening, they were taking care of business and God was lifted up. You know what they're doing? They're on their faces. Church, you want to know how we have revival? And I thank God it's, it's happened occasionally. Uh, you walk in this auditorium during school and young people be on their faces and teenagers be on their faces and college students be on their faces. You crack open doors for them, people be on their faces. You come down to the altar and people are down on their faces before God. When you're getting right with God, you are humbling yourself in response to the word of God. And here's what we see. There wasn't just a hearing, but there was an actual honoring of the word of God. These are all evidences of the revival that was taking place in the nation of Israel at this moment. So here's what I'm asking you to do tonight. Take a look at yourself and your family and say, is there even a touch of revival at the moment? And if there's not, we've got to make things right concerning the word of God because I want a hunger stirred up that's creating the right kind of sensible and sensitive. Here, here, here's what's amazing. Mother, you can call, you put on some kind of stupid cartoon and you can't get the attention of that child If you screamed, if you walked over and hit him in the face with a dead rabbit, you couldn't get that child to respond. God help us to get with our kids and say, I want to make sure, are you hearing God's voice? Do I have to wake up and ask you if you've read your Bible? Or are you waking up during the day and not just in the morning, but throughout the day saying, I want to get time. I want to spend time in God's word. Let's go to verse 13. We'll be, no, you know what? Let's go to verse 9. Nehemiah, which is Tirshatha, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people. They said to all the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor, nor weep. This is one of the most incredible scriptures in all the Bible. So revival taking place. There's confrontation just through the reading of the word of God. There's conviction that comes through hearing the word of God. And here's what you're going to see. The response is they begin dealing with their sin and weeping. And the weeping was so great, the preachers actually had to tell them, okay, guys, you've grieved long enough over your sin. 
I've never heard of a preacher in my lifetime having to tell a group, maybe that lady preacher, maybe that lady, maybe that night, maybe that's the only time in my lifetime I've ever seen anything like that. But outside of that moment, that night, I've never heard a preacher tell someone grieving over the sin, you got to stop grieving. Here's a preacher telling people, you need to start grieving. And church, let me just tell you something. This is a generation that's deeper in sin than any other generation in the history of mankind. More hidden sin. More, let me repeat that. More hidden. If we just revealed, I remember, and some of you were here. I know we've changed over about 65, 70% of the church since I came here. But I remember we brought in Logan Brothers. What were we praying? Oh, God, reveal sin. Reveal everything that needs to be revealed. And after the third day of the revival, I said, Oh, God, don't reveal anything else. I can't deal with it. Can you pray that tonight? Oh, God, reveal it. Reveal, God, everything going on in this congregation. Reveal everything in my home. Reveal everything in my life. Reveal everything in the lives of my children. And when God, through his word, began to reveal their sin, there was a national, we're talking about, these people that came together as one. When you're seeing 35, 40, 45,000 people weep and grieve with a broken heart over their sin, look what it says. He said, mourn not or weep, for all the people wept. And when they heard the words of the law, then said he unto them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portion unto them, for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy unto the Lord, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Look what it says, verse 11, so the Levites stealed all the people, saying, hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither what? You've grieved too long. Have you grieved five minutes? Have you, let, let me ask you this, church. When was the last time you grieved five minutes over any sin in your life? That's revival. And when a parent has to tell you, you've grieved long enough over that. When a leader tells you, you've grieved long enough over that sin. But there's no grief. Now, look what it says, verse 13. And we'll be finished. There's a response here after the conviction, and the confession. And young people, let me say this because we're going to be finished here in a minute. There's almost no confrontation, very little conviction, and almost no confession in our generation of Christianity. You cover it, you defend it, you justify it, you hide it, you rename it. And in a trip to the altar... There's a ritual, you go down, you bow your head, you spend a few moments, you think about the music, you go back to your seat. There was a time when a church altar meant people literally dealing with God because he was dealing with their sin. There was conviction that resulted in confession. That's what was taking place. Now, here's how you know there's conviction and confession. Because they said, okay, give us the word and let us immediately put it into practice. And if you're truly hearing from God and he's bringing you conviction and you've confessed that sin, you know what you're going to do? You're going to immediately deal with whatever God dealt with. It's not next year. It's not a process. And we'll see what God, no, no. This is God doing business and I mean business and I'm doing business. Look what it says, verse 13. On the second day, they're gathered together and the chief, the fathers, all the people, the priests, the Levites, and the Ezra, the scribe, even to understand. They wanted to understand more of the words of the law. They found written the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses. Look what it says. 
that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount, fetch olive branches, and pine branches, and myrtle branches, and palm branches, branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. Pastor, you're kidding me. We've got to go. Yes, that's what God said. Why? There's no questioning. If God said, do it, just do it. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booze. Verse 17, all the congregation, them that were coming in out of the captivity made booze. And they sat under the booths. That's revival. Now, church. That's just the first few verses of this text. Here's what I want you to do tonight. Men, your spiritual leader in your house, you need to take the spiritual temperature of your house and say, okay, do we have a hunger in this home for the word of God? Has there been any conviction? Are we hearing? Are we tuned in? And when the Holy Spirit of God convicts, is there any confession? Are we truly properly honoring the word of God? Are we participants in the service? Has the Holy Spirit of God tapped us and brought us to our faces? Is there any proper dealing with sin or is it just a covering of sin? Young people, you ought to be so right and so obedient to the Word of God that people see, oh, you know what that is? That's a response to the Word of God. That's an immediate response. Your parents ought to say, they came home and immediately responded to the Word of God. They ought, when you respond, mama will know it, and dad will know it, and your brother will know it, and grandma and grandpa will know it, your friends at school will know it. He just heard from God, and he just became obedient to the word that God had commanded him. Church, I'm not waiting three or four weeks, some preacher coming to town and preach the devil out of us to see revival. I'm asking you this, are you enough of a spiritual leader to say, I want to make sure revival starts in my heart, in my home, in my house and it all is very obvious because the number one evidence is the way we look at and respond to and our hunger level for the word of god